0: Hello to all of you dedicated listeners of WAOB, this is Bishop David Zubik from the Diocese of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm so glad to be able to spend a couple of minutes with you. This month of January, uh, in the very middle of this month of January, uh, I will be traveling with thousands and thousands of Southwestern Pennsylvanians and hundreds of thousands of pilgrims from across our country to Washington, D.C. The purpose of this pilgrimage in support of the absolute God-given right to human life from the first moment of conception to the moment of natural death. The high points of this sacred journey are the Vigil for Prayer through to the next day and the March for Life, where we, travelers to D.C., will seek to inform the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our government, and especially to the world, our pledge to support life on all levels. If there was ever a true starting point in our contemporary reawakening of the need to defend the sacredness of human life in America, it came with the decision of the Supreme Court on January 22, 1973, mandating legalized abortion nationwide. This decision shocked and invigorated a passionate defense of life that comes down to us to this very day. Let me share with you two additional stories that illustrate the sacredness of life in several other instances. Going way back to the time of St. Paul, this apostle to the Gentiles was revolutionary in his teaching that the good news of Jesus Christ was meant for all, slave and free alike, and it liberated every soul, slave or free. Father Bartolomé de las Casas was a 16th century Spanish priest. As a secular priest, Father Bartolomé witnessed firsthand the horror of exploited and enslaved native populations in his role as chaplain to the Spanish conquerors in Cuba. He took his stand. He built on a Catholic understanding of the dignity of the human soul in his work entitled A Short Account of the Destruction of the Indies. He graphically, vociferously, and passionately described and attacked the horror of slavery. Pope Paul III was paying attention to him. In 1537, that Holy Father published the papal bull, Sublimus Deus, which prohibited the enslavement of the native peoples of America. Pope Paul III declared the native peoples human beings with eternal souls, and that their slavery was inspired by... Satan, powerful stuff endorsed by Spanish Holy Roman Emperor and bluntly ignored in the New World. Father Bartolome died in 1566 with slavery condemned, but ongoing, even in most corners of the world. Close to universally enforced after the Civil War by the Holy See and in Pope Leo XIII's Rerum Novarum in 1891, it was in the documents of Vatican II that the universal condemnation of slavery was formally defined, rooted in the sacredness of human life. The implicit, even explicit, condemnation was always there, as Father Bartolome taught and wrote, We remain, and will always remain, dedicated to the consistent ethic of life. The Church has always and everywhere seen that its beliefs, its teachings, pointed toward the sacredness of human life. The Church has also been inexorably drawn to a strengthening, never a weakening, of this inherent defense of the sacredness of human life. It has never moved in the opposite direction away from life. That is the consistent ethic of life. Let's take a moral debate from our own day, capital punishment. The approved first French text of the Catechism of the Catholic Church arrived on the desk of Pope John Paul II in 1992. The Church had heretofore accepted capital punishment. It was believed that the state, the community, had a right to protect itself from crime and the execution of committed and violent criminals was often seen as the only alternative available. The catechism, though moderate in its language, reflected that traditional position. Our second story. Helen Prejean joined the Sisters of St. Joseph at age 18 in 1957. In 1981, she went to serve at the St. Thomas Housing Project in New Orleans, a dangerous place for anyone at that time, that would lead her to a commitment to social justice and bring her issue to the capital of punishment. Sister Helen was introduced to Pat Sonier, a 34-year-old white male, when she was asked to correspond with him on death row. Sister Helen knew the horror of Sonier's crime, but came to firmly believe that everyone has a right to life no matter the worst thing he or she may have done. Sister Helen came to the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola to be with Patrick and walked with him to the electric chair. He was executed at 12.15 a.m., April 5, 1984. Sister Helen explained that after Sonier was executed, she left the death chamber knowing God was telling her to be a witness to the secret ritual of legal execution and to share her experience with the world. She wrote a 1994 New York Times best-selling memoir, Dead Man Walking, on her experience with capital punishment. And, of course, a fictionalized treatment of her experience was made into an award-winning movie. More importantly, she had contacted Pope John Paul II about the French draft of the Catechism and argued forcefully for a revision, a rewriting of the Church's position on the death penalty. In studying the French draft of the Catechism, Pope John Paul II would more and more move away from the traditional teaching of capital punishment. How could we preach in defense of life, but then be silent in the face of state-sponsored executions? He began a revision of the Church's position on the death penalty. He would reflect that position in Evangelium Vitae in 1995. Pope John Paul II taught that, effectively, It was virtually impossible in modern society to justify state-sanctioned killing for capital crimes as a protection of society. There were other means than state-sanctioned killing. Pope Francis now echoes that view. We have moved to a deeper Catholic understanding that now rejects capital punishment in virtually any circumstance in our modern world. All this has happened in a very short number of years. We are seeing the Church refine its stance on a number of issues. I think that we can agree that the just-war theory has undergone considerable revision, again being drawn more and more to a position that narrows greatly the state's right to wage war. The Church has refused to be compromised in its position opposing assisted suicide, despite political and financial pressure. It continues to hold true as a voice for life in the face of societal pressure to endorse both active and passive euthanasia. And again, let me repeat. The Church has always pointed toward the sacredness of every human life. The Church was always drawn to defending life. And the Church has always been drawn toward strengthening, never weakening, this inherent defense of the sacredness of human life on all levels. It is argued, and not without exaggeration, That all the life issues we face today, from so-called death with dignity, to stem cell research, to the euthanizing of the mentally ill, are all just a few degrees of separation from legalized abortion. The one condones the other. To defend the right to life is the foundational principle of our consistent ethic of life. We cannot and will not compromise on abortion. To do so would be to sell our souls and abandon our understanding of sacredness of every human life. It would leave us without a moral leg to stand on in every other life-related issue. It would violate the consistent ethic of life. And so now, as you and I find ourselves in this month of January, this month when we march to Washington and provide our statements of strong support of human life from the first moment of conception to the point of natural death, May we stand firm on all the issues of life, knowing that that great gift has come from the mind, the heart, and the hands of our dear God, who is creator of us all. God bless you all.